and welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to this season of The Drop at DFT. You are in the middle of DFT Talks, our humble effort to bring you something akin to what will lovingly be known as DFT University. This season of The Drop is that first installment where we break down a lot of things that could be considered taboo or unknown or things you just don't talk about. Like today, for example, mats in VFX and color. To be or not to be? Let's fight to the death and find out. Just kidding. Welcome to The Drop, bringing back Dylan Shadinsky, head of VFX here at Digital Film Tree, and senior colorist slash co-CTO, Thomas Gallion CSI. And I'm Nancy Jundy, COO, CFO, host of The Drop here at Digital Film Tree. Thank you, guys. Appreciate you coming back. Dylan, what, this is maybe third or fourth? Lasso VFX, VFX for Geniuses. It is third for me, I believe, yeah. Third for you. Thomas? I think it's my second. Or this is what my third. What the F is Geopost? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Color mm-hmm. for Geniuses. This is the third? I think this is the third. Oh, this really is a death match, ladies and gentlemen. I'm so excited. Just kidding. I've been on all of them. So I'm glad to share. All right. So first and foremost, who is the best equipped to even tell us what is a map? Uh, I can give it a stab. Uh, so basically, a mat is essentially uh, an alpha channel in the form of something that can be used outside of the VFX software. So, for instance, if you are doing a green screen, once you key out that green screen, you're creating an alpha channel where all the transparency is where the, the green screen used to be. So a mat is usually a black and white image where whatever is transparent is black and what, what whatever is opaque is white. And that can be read throughout multiple softwares uh, to be able to basically transfer that alpha channel outside of the VFX software. Can I ask... A follow-up before I ask you to explain it in color terms. Mm-hmm. For VFX-wise, if we're thinking about this visually, can we pretend that we're talking in, say, what would folks normally pick up first? After Effects? Or even Photoshop, for that matter. I think that's probably okay. the most pedestrian software that people would realize what an alpha channel is. Okay. Um, and it's it's basically... You know, if you have layered images, um, it's what allows you to see through one layer to the other layer. Uh, So it's basically just mapping out what you can see through and what you can't. Okay. Thomas, for you, what would you define a mat as being once it's in color or using it in color? So a mat, from a color perspective, I'm going to restate a lot of what Dylan said, but... um, uh, to get into overly technical terms, every image, a video or a still, is traditionally made up of three color channels. So every pixel, there will be one channel for red, one channel for green, one channel for blue. And what a channel is, visually if you're looking just at it, is it's just a difference between light and dark. So it's usually represented in something like Photoshop as a black and white version of this is what all the blues are, this is what all the reds are, this is what all the greens are. And when we look at an image, we're actually looking at those normal three channels blended together 
And that's how we get all the spectrum of color for any video or still. With VFX shots, uh, one thing that can be really challenging is uh, in color is making selections that are as precise as what visual effects can make. So um, Dylan brought up a good example of like uh, uh, transparency. So anything that needs like, let's say the monitor, we need to change the monitor and your hair or my hair is in front of it. Um, visual effects can make a selection of that much better than what the color tools offer. And as they're changing that and manipulating that, um, if, if in color I want to manipulate that, uh, I will ask for a mat. And so the mat, as Dylan pointed out, is just black and white values, similar to red, green, and blue. But instead of it representing a color, in general, it represents transparency. So if you go on the internet and you see like a logo over a background and the logo's transparent. That's the squares. Yeah, yeah, that's a that's a Photoshop by default to denote that there's transparency. We'll put those little gray square, gray and white checker pattern behind mm -hmm. it. And that's how we can see, oh, okay, this image has transparency. It has a channel that's defining how transparent the image is. Well, so can I ask, like, in a situation like this, obviously, mm -hmm. you know, we tried to make it a little more like TED Talks, whatever. I'm wearing yellow. I have hair. If I do something like that, how obnoxious is that for both of you? Well, considering the background behind you is the same color as your hair, very, very obnoxious. <laughs> yes. Okay. So yeah. for both of you, though. Yeah. The, mm -hmm. the, the separation, basically the, the more uh, opposite uh, the color or brightness and dark values are, it, that, that helps us select uh, and separate you from the background. So the fact that your hair is a similar sort of darkness as the background, similar color as the background, is going to add more difficulty to try and separate that hair out. And, and if we don't have that, uh, basically we have to resort to rotoscoping, which is tracing every hair that's flopping around frame by frame uh, <laughs> throughout the entire shot. Um, and doing that uh, with hair is by far the most difficult thing to rotoscope uh, which is then we have to make fake hair because no one can actually trace the hair properly so we're adding hair shows where you got to labor over those loving yeah things. yeah it's great yeah so um, yeah we don't like hand animating hair if we don't have to does it does it come down to kind of like a blur like in this case can you make a definition situation like so, an outline and then the rest is just well she has black hair and she's against a black wall yeah so basically if you're rotoscoping hair uh, if you're you know kind of doing it on an amateur level you're just tracing the overall shape of the hair which then someone's gonna look like a helmet head uh, and so like a lot of people will then just kind of try to feather that because like oh hair soft so let's just feather this outline then it looks like they have like a weird feathery halo around their head um, so that's why, you know, you go through like a little bit higher level of rotoscoping to try to get like the big strands. But once it comes down to like the single hairs and flyaways and stuff like that, uh, you can't really rotoscope one pixel without picking up something behind that hair as well. So it's mm -hmm. going to have whatever was in the original background kind of mixed in with it. Um, so that's why you actually end up making fake hairs. 
So then I might have gotten off topic because I'm guessing that a mat does not help in this situation, well, or am I wrong? It's interesting. So how we use mats in color, since it's this uh, black and white silhouette of where visual effects shot happened or where the uh, VFX shot has manipulated the image, um, in color, if a tweak needs to be made, like a color tweak or the, the, the element needs to be brighter or darker or they're going through a creative decision that they want to finish in the color bay, I can use that mat to, to select that area uh, uh, that was changed. So in an example of replacing the background, if visual effects went through the laborious task of getting your hair just right so that it's nice and transparent, uh, they could provide a mat, sort of, and we'll get to why the sort of, because that's the gray area, I think that's the crux of this, um, of what that background is and how you separate from it. What that would allow me to do in color is sort of take advantage of some of those uh, gradients and some of those softenings that they were able to create and I could manipulate like just the background or just the foreground. So I'd have a, a bit of separation. I don't know if that made sense. Does that make sense? It, it does in a certain way. I think, I think me thinking about things in terms of what we're doing here today, mm -hmm. because this was kind of planned. We even talked about the reflection on the screen. We talked about my hair being kind of a nightmare if we needed to replace something behind me. But there are certain concessions where like, we're okay with the reflection on the screen. Folks, we're not kidding anybody here. But this is also not a TV show airing on any number of networks or streaming services. In those instances, I'm thinking more of somebody against a green screen that needed a VFX supervisor that has a longevity plan for seeing you in color then and where we start. So if it is somebody, say, like doing jumping jacks up and mm -hmm. down in front of a green screen, kind of take me through that and what that what the process looks like because that's planned yep. correct versus yep. something where it was a haphazard situation so let's say we are trying to shoot someone doing jumping jacks on a green screen and then we want to put them in outer space so Sorry, doing jumping jacks in outer space then sure on a on the moon or something let's, Just to let's, sure. say, let's say that this. yeah okay. Um, so, you know, what we would do is we would put who, whoever that person is in front of a green screen, um, light it with the idea in mind that eventually this person is going to be put in the dark void of outer space and maybe only be lit by like starlight or, or some sort of, you know, universal glow thing. Um, so we'd, we'd light the person to fit in that environment. Uh, and then once we get into VFX, we're going to do our green screen key and we're going to put that environment behind them. And then we're going to do all our little tips and tricks to try to blend them into that environment. And a lot of that will include like using samples of that background uh, to fill in like the edge work around the person that we've just keyed out, uh, because oftentimes you're not going to get an absolutely perfect key and you can do tips and tricks uh, to try to actually marry that to the background without making it look cut out. Um, another thing we have to do is get rid of any green spill. So we'll use whatever background uh, we have as a reference for what kind of color we need to add 
to the person in the foreground to eliminate that spill. And is green spill like a term for even if it's a blue screen or gray screen, it's just... It, it, yeah, it just, just spill. So whatever screen they're in front of, they're going to inevitably usually pick up some color from that screen. So if it's a blue screen, it would be blue spill. Mm -hmm. And then, forgive me if this is jumping ahead at all, but what happens if then somebody changes their mind and the way that they wanted them lit on the day that you filmed sure. is no longer how they... Okay, it happens all the time. Is oh, that, yeah. Is that where yeah. Okay, yeah. this is exciting. So let's say... Um, you know, there's there's a couple ways this could go. One could be they still want it to be outer space, but they want outer space to just be brighter, or they want outer space to just be bluer, uh, or they could want it to be, you know, Asgard in the sky with fluffy white clouds behind it. There is no relation to any Marvel characters living, dead, or associated. With this podcast. Norse so mythology <laughs> is free reign. There's no copyright. That's right. So for instance, if they want it to be a completely different background, that's 100% VFX is changing that background. Doing a, a recomposite to now match that background instead of matching the, the dark void of space. Uh, so there is some, you know, more work we have to do for that. And then we're doing whatever we can to try to match it to that background even though it was lit uh for a different one so that's it's going to be challenging we'll we'll get as as close as we can uh at a certain point it's it could be this thing needs reshot or it needs really extensive work to to relight it so that's kind of a worst case scenario um if for instance they just want this background a little bit bluer uh, we can just provide someone like Thomas and Matt. Uh, they can go in there and independently tweak the background from the foreground. Uh, ideally, uh, that's something we would do in VFX, but there's not always the time for that. And sometimes if it's a small enough change, it's just easier to do in color. So I think that's... And, and you jump in, save this question if I'm mm. not getting it humanly sensible but okay if that becomes the case mm -hmm. and you did have time to create a mat mm -hmm. does that help with achieving the vfx shot as you and whoever you're collaborating with achieve that in color or is that really a marriage between you and color especially in this instance because literally your bays are next to each other you can so, have those conversations. Um, yeah. How it, does that... Can, can I jump in? Yeah, that? of course. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, a frequent, a frequent request that happens in color uh, is um, that things on set maybe are lit in a way that people, when we're finishing, are not as happy with. So um, while we're doing a color pass, we may be adding windows to areas to brighten things up. There may be parts that are getting light um, that we're darkening and things that aren't necessarily visual effects shots that we're changing. And one interesting part of this problem or this challenge is that VFX and color are working at the same time on the same thing. And so the, the challenge for mats. So you're saying that's not an ideal scenario. Not necessarily. Okay, no, if, if you had, 
if you had all the time in the world, you would. I, I would. Which comes first, chicken or the egg? I would think visual effects would come first. Um, I would agree. Yeah, because okay. if visual effects, if everything is beautiful in visual effects, then there's less work to do in color, and we wouldn't need. We wouldn't necessarily need mats. Because um, we'll go over like the limitations of mats. Mats are great, but they're not necessarily a silver bullet for every shot. It's part of this sort of gray area and it's part of this collaboration that's, that's happening as we're going through that process. What's tricky for visual effects is that as I'm coloring, I'm working on a plate. So I'm kind of guesstimating where the visual effects are going to take the shot, usually with the understanding that the plate with the actors will not change a whole lot. That, that's the goal, is that the, the, the base, we're matching the background to the practical, and generally trying not to go the other way around. Can I ask how, how often you're working with plates? Like, meaning you have to get started, you don't get to wait for the VFX oh, to be finished. Oh, always. Anytime, anytime there's a green screen, uh, you'll we'll always be starting with uh, the green screen. Just the lock cut or temp cut from editorial exactly. get you started. Exactly. And what I'll have to go on is a visual reference. So when they're making their offline edit, they are uh, the editors are making temp visual effects to kind of get an idea of where a shot's going to go or what a scene's going to do. And that becomes a visual cue to me, but not necessarily where the VFX are going to go. So you're not saying that you get something full of like, oh, I don't know, clip art. Could be. Could yeah, be. Sometimes. Could be. Could very well be. Let's and move on. Yeah. Well, so this is where the this is where the challenge is because while I'm working on something without knowing where it's going, VFX is also working on something not knowing where I've taken the shot. And this is where the kind of mats versus no mats versus how much time we have to work on things really yeah. comes into play. Can you take it back? Say that sure. all over again. I feel like it's worth repeating sure. for the for the folks at home. And let's scroll right here. What did you say? I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go even further back. Okay. Uh, so visual effects and color uh, are working at the same time, and usually they are not aware of. I'm not aware of where visual effects is taking a shot, and visual effects isn't aware of where color is taking a shot. So it's possible that when visual effects is done, they won't know that in our color review sessions, we decided that we want windows on faces. We want to alter the lighting, looking solely at the plate. And then what becomes a job in color is to try and balance those changes with the new VFX shot. But that becomes a problem because we've now kind of forked that shot where I'm going in one direction that visual effects hasn't necessarily seen and they could be getting notes that are entirely unrelated to what they see in visual effects. And so this becomes a gray area of back and forth between visual effects and color. How do we balance these changes? Because all changes are necessary to finish the shot, mm -hmm. but it's where do we do it and how do we do it? I have so many questions, but first I want you to say stuff in response, right? <laughs> yeah. No, absolutely. Um, he's absolutely right because our main goal in visual effects is to make a realistic looking shot. So we have a foreground and we have a background that we have to put together. So we're doing things to both the foreground and the background to marry them together. So if what he's doing to the foreground is making it very dark and we have a bright plate, so we're actually brightening the foreground to match the back plate, we're working at completely cross purposes. 
And then when he gets the shot back, he's going to apply his look and it's not going to look the same because we've actually brightened the, the foreground plate. And so he might have to do something to compensate for that. And if that's happening with a mat and he's doing something else to the background to compensate for that, there's no control in visual effects as to how we make those look like they belong together and how we make that look realistic. I know more than one mm -hmm. artist will work on a shot, but would mm -hmm. more than one work on the background and more than one work on the foreground? Generally, we try to have the background established and then give that to all the artists. Uh, usually we try to have artists work on at least one setup in one scene. So if there's 30 shots in the scene, 10 of them are pointed at Thomas, 10 of them are pointed at you, 10 of them are pointed at me. One artist is going to get these 10, one is going to get these 10, one is going to get these 10. And you have a VFX supervisor, a comp supervisor, somebody mm -hmm. making sure that all of those artists are communicating on the same level, delivering sure. the same kind of work. But Ooh. then... Oh, let me jump oh, in I'm there. I'm so excited. Because this is great. This is great. This is... This is so we've talked about the creative challenges where color might be going in a creatively different direction than visual effects. Now we can talk about just uh, photography challenges. So um, using the example that Dylan put out was great. Let's say we've got shots of us. And, and uh, let's say when we were filming this, the white balance on one camera is a little different than the other. And the black balance on this one's a little different and maybe the camera on you is a little bit dark. And so as I'm going through this, uh, doing my first color pass, I am finding the middle ground. I'm finding, I'm brightening the exposure, I'm making the whites all match, I'm making the blacks match, and I'm ultimately making uh, the scene all cohesive, regardless of the types of camera used and any possible like lighting changes because of time of day or uh, missteps in photography. And I think as we're talking about these different visual effect shots, the consistency for the same frame that Dylan was talking about, so let's say all my angle doing the same artist, is really good because the plates will all have the same defects that I'm going to be correcting out in my color pass. The challenge though, and this isn't a creative challenge, this is just a practical challenge, is that the backgrounds will need unique treatments to match the defects that were either because of photography, time of day, or whatever, so that when things come back, the, the backgrounds just sort of match underneath all the work I've done to make the plates match. Operationally, mm -hmm. okay. <laughs> Who's tracking all of this? Who does this fall to? When is this discussed? How does it happen? Well, that's a good question. I think for some shows with... I know the answer, folks. I understand. I'm the CEO here. I do know the answer, but like, good golly, in the moment. Right. There, there's, different, there's different ways you can approach it. And I think it, this, is, this is where the time crunch comes into. Because um, there's certainly a world where I can give a version of my color back to visual effects so that they can see what I'm doing. And then they can look at their scene and make sure that their backgrounds have adjustments. Um, but if there is a time crunch, and, and oftentimes, for, especially for broadcast, there is a time crunch, this is where the mats become incredibly valuable to me. 
because as long as I'm not making huge changes, I can make those variances to just the background uh, without affecting the foreground. But if we make big changes, there's a strong likelihood that I'm going to break the mat and you're going to start to see edges or, or defects in where my selection is or where the mat selection is. So let's say we're putting a plate outside that's a fairly gloomy day and that's the original intent is to have kind of a darker sky outside and we have a really nice reflection on the glass in front of it and that reflection is brighter than the, the background and it looks realistic. Mm -hmm. If in color the decision is made to now make that backplate brighter. When the mat is used and that backplate gets brighter, the reflection on the window doesn't. So it's going to end up actually looking darker than the sky outside and not looking realistic at all. Right. Does this in any way translate into day for night scenarios? Day for night is an interesting situation because you can accomplish that effect in a variety of ways. One way to do day for night is to have VFX take care of the color and any replacements that need to happen because a day for night shot, depending on the subject matter, will require that like car headlights need to be on where they wouldn't be on in the daytime. Uh, street lights would need to be brighter where they wouldn't be on in the daytime. Skies might need to be replaced if we're looking up at the sky. Um, so one option is to have VFX handle the full day for night uh, what we've done in other shows is color will sometimes do a, a look to get that sort of uh, darker um, magenta navy nighttime feel. Don't and, you dare bake that look in. It, well, we've done it in different ways. Uh, sometimes that plate goes back to VFX with that color baked in and VFX will enhance that. Do you love that or is it not for you? Oh, that's great. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Gets us halfway there. Yeah, yeah. And then, um, and sometimes, uh, I can only think of a few times where we've done this, uh, uh, it will either be a LUT so I can show where we're going, and then VFX will try to do the lights and things underneath that color. Um, I think my preference would be, because usually a day for night will need to match other practical shots. Um, I think my preference is, since I'm referencing color across multiple scenes, of getting that look established and then having visual effects uh, add lights and add these extra touches that really sell the day for night. I think that's the best way to go. There was a, a day for night shot that was a stock shot in NCIS Los Angeles where it was simply an establishing shot and we were going into a spooky warehouse where a guy at night was was sneaking around and looking and stealing stuff. And that was, um, I think, a really good shot where the date, because uh, a challenge with day for night is shooting the sky, especially when day for night was traditionally color, when we didn't have the option to do as much visual effects to help things. And so I believe that shot went to visual effects first. And I think I gave them a lot of where we had approved the day for night color look, which got baked in, and then lights were put on top of that. But then when the shot came back, we ended up doing a couple more, uh, couple more windows in, in strategic places to kind of help sell that moodier lighting. Um, so that was layers. So 
on an independent feature, for example, mm-hmm. where an auteur or someone whose creative vision, mm-hmm. they're the ones seeing it from beginning to end and there are minimal notes, that might be a situation where like perfect scenario. But how often is that the scenario? Even showrunners aren't necessarily sitting with you in color all the time. Right. And they're certainly not going to pour over every single shot, maybe a bigger mm-hmm. size shot, mm-hmm. but they're not every episode, every time going to be looking at, do the windows look okay? Is the interior of this restaurant how we wanted it, et cetera, et cetera. You have different creative notes coming from different creative people on these wildly creative projects. So I guess the question, nope, yeah. 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 No, I, I was... <laughs> That's, that is the challenge. That is so, 100% so in, in a perfect world, the most important parts of that creative process would happen early enough that something like what the background is theoretically going to look like is pretty close. That's not a perfect world. That's why mats exist. Um, where mats become the most problematic is in a situation like where you're comping outside of a window and changing the luminance is gonna make reflections look weird. Or anytime there's extensive edge rebuilding, like say what was lit on set doesn't really fit in what this new environment is and we're actually doing stuff to the edges of the foreground to marry it to the background. Once you then independently change the background, it's going to look even more like the foreground object doesn't belong there because it has already been altered to match the background. So that's when it's most problematic. The advantage we have here, because we are working so closely together, is that when Thomas recognizes these issues happening, he can actually generate for us a LUT, we like to call it an offset LUT, that we would then bring into our VFX comp and apply to the background before we render a shot. So we have the ability to actually take that, apply it to the background, and then adjust all the work we've done so that when we give him the final product, he only has to do his normal color correction on top and doesn't have to do anything to change the background independently at that point. Yeah, a big part of this too is if we break down where mats are problematic. So mats are, again, just black and white values but they don't necessarily generate all the good things that visual effects is doing to get that subject into the background. So Can I ask, because I know that we've had, there's no, there's no gentle way around it. We've had problematic mats before. Sure. And especially in like lots of movement or things of that nature, I thought there were color in mats. There, well, there's a version of mats uh, that there's there can't can there be color in mats? Like... Not necessarily. So ultimately, you can think of it like a silhouette. So right, mats mats. The, the the terminology is coming from what people used to do called matte painting, which uh, which was creating a background. I was today's years old, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> yeah, people would basically uh, people would film things on film where they would black out areas where they would want a background to be. So this might be a good opportunity with our current set, um, and having it being black, it wouldn't expose the film. They would then take uh, a wall or something where a very talented artist would paint 
what that background is going to be. Then they would re-expose the film and also block out the subject. Old matte paintings were actual paintings that were on film where it was exposed as like a silhouette. And so that terminology has uh, evolved to just mean we have this extra sort of selection, this extra channel that generally means transparency. But we could have a mat represent anything. Like, um, let's say, um, let's say we have a logo in a phone and that logo has to have a very specific color. And through lighting changes and different things, it might be very difficult, um, especially with different angles, to have the artist like absolutely nail the exact same color in every single shot underneath my color correction. So a mat could be very useful so that I can steal that selection, that graphic that they have, and I can change just that graphic independently of the rest of the shot. I kind of got off topic with what, what mats are. That was freaking fascinating though. Mats are cool. Mats are cool. There's, there's some really cool f like photography tricks people used to do uh, for visual effects with like mirrors and panes of glass in front of uh, actors. So another type, I've heard it called matte painting. I don't know if it's actually matte painting where people would put panes of glass and paint mm. perspective. Mm -hmm to put either foreground or background elements in front of film or in front of your camera that's exposing yeah. is it's old VFX is amazingly like clever and fascinating. You know who is an expert on that? Krista Miller, ladies and gentlemen, one day I'm getting you on this podcast. Hi again. Um, but where mats break down, especially for color, um, is that the, interesting math or the interesting processes that the VFX artists are doing to blend the characters into the background, those don't immediately translate into a mat. So they don't all, like, let's say there's an imperfection with the jumping jacks person who's on, who's being on the moon. As they're moving, there might be motion blur or um, other things where they're sort of half exposed and you want to see the background kind of half through their their arm. Well, what the VFX artist is going to do in a very clever way is they're going to blend those pixels together. And then hopefully they will be able to give a mat that sort of has a gradient, but I will never be able to uh, like grade directly behind the hand. I'm always just going to be grading at like say 50% strength where the hand is moving. And that's because in the visual effects comp, they're blending things. And in color, I'm just I'm just adding things on top and trying to adjust hues and saturation and things like that. Yeah. So where mats can be problematic is what we've been talking about. Big luminance changes can be really challenging. Color changes, if they're if they're big differences, can be very challenging because it'll it'll break some of that blending. Um, and and also stuff with motion blur or just a heavily defocused right. mat. Because right. that's going to create these same issues with transparency. Right. And so this is why at DFT we do this offset LUT. Because we may have dialed in the color look and the color look might look great uh, to whoever I'm sitting with. But ultimately those edges become problematic. And then the note might go back to VFX that says, hey, these have some weird edges. And VFX looks at it and be like, I don't know what you're talking about. So 
what we do is we can take the color corrections that I'm making and we translate that into a LUT. LUT stands for lookup table. It's basically an input color equals output color. And so we can give that to the visual effects artist who can then put that on the layer underneath all that cool blending. So we get all the advantages of being able to add the color that was approved, but, uh, but still have all the VFX blending that we need to make that comp believable. Okay. So you can think of the LUT kind of like a gel, like a, a red gel, sure. yeah. right? So if you put a red gel in front of a light, it's going to make the light red. So if we put that gel between our foreground and background, it's affecting that background. Exactly. And then all the blending that's happening on the foreground can still, uh, can still look believable, can still look yeah. correct. Because ultimately, 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 the best, the best thing that doesn't exist right now that I would want is... You heard it here first. Trademark pending. Right. Sorry, go ahead. The best it? thing that I would want is a pipeline with visual effects and color where, where when I need to change a background element, I'm not just changing a gel on top of, of the composited image. I would like the ability to, as I'm color grading, actually color inside the comp. Because then you can see how that changes with the blending options. Is that not like a conversation you guys can have, though? It, there, right now, there's no software that does that exactly. This LUT trade-off is about as close as we can come right now to doing that. And, and you know, we, we do build our projects as non-destructively as possible so that if the background changed, where all the work we're doing is referencing a background that if it changes will update all that work. But every once in a while there there will be something we have to do to the foreground that isn't necessarily married to that background layer or node, what what have you. And then we'll have to go back and redo that part of the work. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Get me to the place where, you know what, a map isn't helpful here. Oh, well, okay, sure. So, um, uh, a place where a map would just, not... Just to be clear, uh, I got there, mostly mm -hmm. because I'm like, dear God, in a situation like that, feels like maybe not so much. Mm -hmm. And probably the creative who's giving the notes should have the time and budget to work that out in VFX. Yes. Yeah. That is the okay. ideal world. Yeah. So it, it I think you're 100% correct in that it's it's time um, because a a uh, evolution of the colorist role has kind of flirted into visual effects. And so it's more than just coloring and it's more than just windowing. There might be a boom it's to It's wild. Pan out. It's flirted it's actually it's it's somewhat, you know, pick whatever violent term you want, it's way into online. Right. Um, and we can stick with flirt with color mostly because it often tends to, to make people more attractive. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's, it drank its way in. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I think that's what surprises me the most about the matte conversation um, is because wildly empirically you've already 
showed exactly why mats can be immensely helpful. But they also take the blame for a lot of stuff. And it sounds like this is kind of where that comes in. Mm -hmm. When the time and the budget and possibly people not communicating kind of create those issues. But then also because let's change it in color. Let's change it in online without understanding just how many pieces and parts went into what's really a technical recipe. Mm -hmm. You're still cooking or baking at the end of the day. Yeah, 100%. That's my soapbox. Tell me, guys, when do you avoid the mat then? Well, I try to avoid it as much as possible just mm -hmm. because, as a visual effects supervisor, I want as much control over the final look of the product as possible. And to do that, I need to know what the end goal is. Otherwise, we're kind of putting on a blindfold and throwing darts. We might be really good at throwing darts, but if we're blindfolded, we're probably not gonna hit the bullseye. I feel like I'm the opposite. So I enjoy having mats as much as possible. And that's because in a color session, uh, it's often uh, very quick results. That's what they're looking for. So we're not affecting one shot, we're affecting scenes of shots, we're affecting everything. And if there's a request that maybe time of day needs to change, and maybe that wasn't communicated previously. Um, um, having that mat there is is really nice to just add one button. I have the selection. I can I can start adjusting things because I feel, or maybe I'm concerned with, um, they're going to want that change regardless. And so if it's not a mat, then I'm going to be drawing around with a pen and tracking that in, and that selection might be even more problematic than having the mat. All right. So, gentlemen, what, may I ask, is the best experience that you have seen in collaborating with the mats? I think any time that uh, we have the luxury of a timeline that lets him generate these, these offset LUTs, it always works out great um, because we're actually collaborating. Mm -hmm. We're not working at the same time mm -hmm. at, at different goals and then he's forced to take whatever we, we gave him at the last minute and apply his color. We actually have that little buffer zone after he gets what we initially give him and then we can make whatever corrections or adjustments we need to make after that. Yeah, one hundred percent. The the on my side, having having mats at the push of a button is uh, incredible relief because I know if I have to tweak a whole scene, um, it can be very quick. But then having the advantage to give to build a LUT and to have that go back inside the visual effects comp is such a huge advantage because ultimately, if I'm using a LUT and I'm being destructive the client will always see that as it's a color problem. And so I could spend a lot of additional time trying to finagle the mat or trying to blend things a little bit better when, um, when I have this collaborative uh, workflow, I can actually just say, hey, this is where the client wants the background to be. Uh, here's, here it is very like dialed in exactly to where it is and I'll give you a visual reference of it. Can we just add that behind all these reflections? Um, and that saves everybody a ton of time.
Right. You know what we didn't talk about? Uh, the basic everyday kind of like windows, boom mic, situations like that. Or is everything we talked about already fairly applicable to those exact same things? I think, I think if we're focusing our discussion on mats, it's primarily elements that are being added to a scene. So if it... Not removed. Not, well, so what I mean is like, if we're taking a part of the, let's say, uh, let's say the background and just uh, stamping out or copying and cloning that over a boom mic or a shadow, um, there wouldn't be a need for me to have a mat of that because uh, uh, the scene and the lighting will all match. Yeah, when, yeah. We're, when we're creating a patch, or painting out a boom mic, we're actually sampling the raw footage to make that patch or do that paint out. So whatever he applies in color is gonna look exactly the same applied to that patch or paint work. Well, what's crazy is the, uh, the sampling of cleaning reflections, especially in like vehicles and windows, and that is the one situation I'm so happy I don't need a mat and there isn't any changes because it's just completely perfect coming out of visual effects. After 14 years on NLA, of which you guys spent a lot of time collaborating, how much of a science was that down to? It was a pretty, pretty worked out science, I think. Um, you know, the one advantage we had with a show like that, that's such a long running show, is that the locations were often the same locations from season to season. So we kind of had a goalpost easily visible every single time that we had to, that we had to meet. Yeah, 100%. And, and so the other advantage is it's every season you just got a little bit better and a little bit better because you'd find, okay, well, we can tweak this a little bit different. Maybe... Uh, we'll build a LUT for these monitors, or maybe we'll set a look for this background that's used often. Um, and so uh, NLA was very uh, comfy. It was very nice. Sounds like a wonderful argument for 22-plus episodes in a season, <laughs> in seasons that go on beyond five. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for joining us on another incredible episode of The Drop. DFT Talks as a part of DFT University here today. Thank you again, Dylan Shadinsky, Thomas Gallion. I'm Nancy Jundy. We'll see you next time.